0: And that's what Tracking Feels is all about. For five. There's no There's satisfaction. Satisfaction. It's not consuming me like 24-7. I've got to be patient. I'm still
1: patient. <laughs> Hi, I'm Woody Kincaid, and welcome to The Price of a Mile. And today I'm interviewing my friend and professional runner, Ryan Hill. Ryan and I had this discussion last summer And it was recorded last summer. But I think that a lot of the things we talk about are still relevant. So I'm going to put out this podcast. Now, Ryan was a 10-time All-American at North Carolina State. He is a four-time World Championship finalist. He is currently fourth all-time at the 3,000 meter on the American record list. And uh, in 2016, he received a silver medal um, for 3,000 meter at those World Championship indoors in Portland, Oregon. We, uh, We talked about the race in detail. Um, we, we go into it, we and uh, I kind of play it while he listens to it. it. It's a great experience. I'm excited to present it to you. We also talked about his time growing up in Hickory, uh, his time at North Carolina State, and, of course, his time with Bowerman. And we couldn't ignore the the effects of the pandemic and the postponement of the Tokyo Olympics on, on this sport. So all of that is still uh, relevant today. Uh, Ryan. Also, in in another development, Ryan has joined a new team. January uh, 2021, he joined Ben Rosario's group down in Flagstaff, Arizona, with Northern Arizona Elite. Now, Ryan keeps a pretty low profile, but he's one of the funniest and wittiest people I know. So I'm really excited to present to you, Mr. Ryan. Oh,
2: Sarah, here we go again. Get past the pain, what don't to say you. Too old now to learn how to let you in. So I run away just like I always do. She said, If there's something I should know, then tell me now. Or I go and give my heart away. So I can get on with my life. You can go on. Wish you'd speak the words those eyes are trying to say Sometimes this life feels like a big old dream I'm floating around on a cloud inside When my cloud starts coming apart at seems seams Oh Sarah, that's when I slide Crazy, but goddamn, sometimes crazy's how I feel. And my brain's starting to swirl down the drain this old world. And there's only one thing, girl, I know's real. It's the love that I feel in your own. It's the glow you wear around you like a charm. It's the ten.
1: Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's been probably a hundred days since I first said you were going to be on the podcast, but I'm glad you're finally here, man. Yes, it's literally been years
0: that <laughs> I wanted to be on Price of a Mile. <laughs> finally, I've earned the right to be on here.
1: Yeah, people don't—they don't know Ryan. The sole comment at the bottom of your interview after a race it says, "It looks like he's wa- just—it <laughs> looks like he's just wandering around aimlessly. What a boring guy." That's that's the world to, that's what the world sees when they see you give an interview. And that's the furthest thing from the truth.
0: That the, that's how the world sees me? Or that's how one gentleman with a computer sees me?
1: <laughs> he was the only guy that commented on it. Okay, so.
0: we'll assume that he feels the same way that the rest of the world feels. Um, <laughs> well, hopefully it changes But if that yes. were true, um, I, I'm definitely not walking aimlessly, but maybe I do give a kind of a sleepy interview every now and then. Maybe I withhold my personality too much. So I'll do my best to open up and talk with you, a close friend and teammate.
1: Thank you. Let's just dive straight into it. We we always talk about how someone needs to be blue-collar on this team, or at least we always like to say that. You come from Hickory, North Carolina, which is like a town of like 50,000 people? 30,000. 30,000 people in western Western, uh, North Carolina.
0: We do often have this argument, it's kind of like a fun debate about who's blue-collar, who's the most blue-collar. And I, I honestly do feel like my upbringing, my life, has been the most blue-collar. Like, my mom's an elementary school teacher. My dad fixes air conditioners, you know, HVAC technician, community college guy. So, I mean, that's that's blue-collar to me. Um, and I think that does reflect in how I live and act and even train, but you know, none of us have that real, we're all a little bit kind of progressive, like a a true distance running team would be, you know? So it is, it's all tongue in cheek talking about who's blue collar and who's not.
1: Yeah. We're not, we're actually at, you know, altitude right now on Nike's dime. If my car broke down the side of the road, I'd just get to walking. I'm not fixing it. (laughs) I mean,
0: there's no way I'm going to fix it. I can't fix anything.
1: (laughs) Uh, that's not true. You do have that upbringing and you kind of have that, that Southern, I don't know, I want to say patience, where you don't, you kind of keep your mouth shut and, you, and then you say something and it's always funny. Yeah. You got that about you, you know? And I think that's why I think blue collar, Ryan Hill. I did grow up in North Carolina for the first
0: 23 years of my life. So. Was, you,
1: was your track paved in high school?
0: We at Hickory High School had the only rubber track in the county. So all the big races were actually at Hickory High School. And we had probably the best overall sports program in our little county. I mean, we're talking the smallest, most country schools, by the way. Like we, you talked about how small Hickory High was, and we were like the city school in our area. We competed against a bunch of farm schools. So in that way, I guess I was a little privileged. I had a great track and athletic program to be a part of.
1: Do you still talk to your high school coach?
0: Coach Sloop? uh, We email every now and then. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> okay. But uh, not, I mean, I don't see him nearly enough. Mm. I, I, when I go back home to visit family, I, I'll like run into him and we'll say hi, but not nearly enough. But we, we are still in touch, yeah.
1: Okay. So let's just talk briefly about your high school experience because uh, we've mentioned multiple times in this podcast that you and I have the same finish at Foot Locker. I'm curious, who do you think had the better high school career? Uh, we got 11th. Oh, well, between w- you and I. Yeah, I'm just saying. Oh, probably me. Yeah. Probably
0: me because I, mean, I, I just wanted to you say I yeah because I, I got the 411 mm-hmm. I got the 90 what did i run 904 i I actually made foot locker I thought twice. we had the same I
1: thought we had the same two mile you had 904 because th- I'm 906
0: okay we could be getting two mile and 3200 mixed up I think that's what happened I ran a 411 1600 904 3200 made foot locker twice one foot locker south as a junior my case is solid. but also here's the thing I actually worked like really hard in high school. I feel like you hear a lot of these people that maybe come out of the woodwork and it's like they're messing around or doing another sport or didn't have a great coach. But I was working really hard, like 70 mile a week, 70 mile weeks in high school, my my senior year. I was really into running mileage. I worked out as hard as I possibly could. I was always reading like Jack Daniels, you know that guy, that coach who wrote all the books about training.
1: You were reading this as
0: in high school? Yeah, because I was I was thinking like, how can I get better? What can I do to achieve this? I knew what Foot Locker was. Yeah, so I actually worked really hard to get to what I had in high school. <laughs> that's what
1: makes you blue collar, man. And that
0: that's the weird thing. Yeah, you know, we'll have these conversations about who worked hard and didn't, and I I am a I worked hard in high school.
1: Yeah. That's fair. I was running like 35 miles a week, but I was working hard in different ways. Okay? You were a troubled youth. Uh, not that troubled. Yeah, yeah I, I, was a, <laughs> I was a nice young man growing up. <laughs> I know. You were all in from the age of like 14? Yeah, I, I even
0: did USATF Junior Olympics, like young kids track, and made it to nationals in Eugene when I was 13 years old. So I was pretty serious at 13, and yet it's really been a linear process for me. There ha- I'm, I'm sure there have been big jumps to the out- outside viewers, maybe, and think, oh, man, that was huge. But from my point of view, everything has been extremely consistent and linear, like pointing in an upward direction.
1: Yeah. so You know, someone who knows you, that doesn't surprise me at all. But from the outside, it's like you only see the big breakout races. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk about college then. Yeah. Because, like, you were a 10-time All-American in college. in your la- In 2012... I'm watching a race with you and uh, Diego Estrada, and they're talking about how you don't have a prayer against Diego Estrada, the announcers. This is the same year that you're going to go on to finish uh, fifth at the Olympic trials. So why is it that you have all these accolades and you're always in the mix that these guys still think that you're going to be ruled by Diego?
0: I don't know. Because at that moment of your what you're talking about, I had run 750 for 3K already. I had competed at two US championships Mm -hmm. in college. Um, I think I had finished eighth at the US championship 5K the year before and had run 1333. So I don't know why (laughs) this, uh, you know, an announcer of a race would be like, who's this loser? They're
1: not. I wouldn't say they say it was a loser, (laughs) but say this is Husky Invite, okay? Yeah. You set the, you guys both blow the the, uh, track record in this race Mm -hmm. Husky Invite 2012. And Diego takes it out really hard the whole way, and you you hang on. it seems like you make the moves when he makes the moves. And still, they're talking about how great Diego looks. And then they're surprised when you do your signature kick. right?
0: So I guess there's two theories here that I'm just arriving at. Either it's just my my like personality style isn't it's not flashy, maybe it's a little too deadpan or like matter of fact. or it's actually how I run. Maybe I don't have the, most beautiful stride, or I don't look good, necessarily. Those are two You have that arm thing,
1: yeah, but yeah. you look
0: pretty good still. So I, I don't know, whereas Diego Estrada, I mean, just the name in itself, yeah. is so much cooler than Ryan Hill. <laughs> yeah. I can understand why they would say it that over and over and not mine.
1: Ryan Walker Hill. I you know. had the chance to have a cool name, so Ryan's middle name is Walker. Yeah.
0: Walker Hill would have been a lot cooler than me. A yeah. lot cooler. Just by changing the name, Walker Hill is more likable. Yeah, probably uh, richer, much, somehow more attractive. I don't know. I don't know how. Well,
1: well, we won't. Get well, maybe that. a little more country. I don't know.
0: Anyway, we've joked about this before. honestly. <laughs> like Walker Hill being like the pivotal point. I could have been Walker, but I'm a Ryan. That's who I am. I'm you Ryan. You're Ryan. Yeah. But a great middle name. Tune I love my earth. middle name.
1: Maybe after this podcast, people will just start calling you Walker. That's my. That's hope.
0: fine. Actually, my college coach, Coach Geiger, when he calls me, he always just goes Walker. <laughs> yeah. So he's actually the only person who calls me Walker, but it's in a joking fashion only.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me let's talk about you and you and Geiger because you guys are actually really close friends to this day. You're born in North Carolina, you go to NC State. Were you always going to stay in state or did Geiger sell you?
0: Well, I grew up a huge NC State fan because that's where my mom went to college. And actually, I was born in Raleigh, lived the first 10 years of my life in Raleigh, Mm. and you was fully ingrained in NC State being the team you cheered for before we moved out to Hickory for my mom to get a job. So my dad always said throughout the recruiting process, someone's going to have to steal you from NC State, and, and no one did. And a big part of that was Coach Geiger. He he builds, he builds, has built a program that feels very much like a family, and you felt that on the visit, and now it's been six years since I've been out of the program, and it still feels that way. He's, he's like a member of my family a little bit. He's
1: going to be a coach that dies in office. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like you're going to ride this sport out as long as you can. You're going to try and stay in this sport. You, un- you understand Geiger. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's he, how I see he it. He
0: is just a track and field guy. It's what he does. It's what he wants to do. I can't imagine him doing anything else. Uh, and people want to talk about retirement with him, but I, I don't know what else would drive him more than running a program, coaching athletes, recruiting athletes. Like that's what he does.
1: He does the recruiting? Mm-hmm.
0: He, he called me. Maybe he has handed more of that responsibility off since I've left, but I remember he was the main recruiter when I was coming through.
1: Okay. Well, let's talk about back to your, let's say, your breakout race to the world. You could argue it was 2012 when you ran 743, but I would say you're really on the scene when you get fifth right behind Andrew Bumbleow at the U.S. Trials. hmm that's when people really start turning heads when you when you're there on the big stage. That was huge for me personally. That one proved proved to me, okay, I can hang with the big
0: guys. That was a legit performance. I just ran 13:27. I I can hang on this
1: stage for sure. Mm-hmm. I just kind of want to bring some overlap. We've had this same uh, race on this podcast before. I'm watch I'm rewatching it again through it with uh, with new eyes because I'm watching you kind of in the back of the pack when the four guys with Bumby in the back taking off and you just somehow make up so much ground you're out of the picture with 300 to go and you're back You're back in the picture like you're only a second off Bumble by the end of the race I, I think that that kick right there showed maybe to Jerry I don't know this is what he wants
0: I have no idea what went through Jerry's mind is but this, that, that particular race there there was four guys and then there was everyone else
1: yeah, but you, the thing is, you were in front of everyone else, and suddenly you were kind of there.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely won the everyone else race. You did. Obviously, but the four, I think the guys that finished one through four were the only ones that had the Olympic standard. Like It was their race. I was happy to be in the final and to soak up the experience, so maybe I did, I don't want to say sandbag a little bit, but I was very calculated about when I wanted to move up, when I wanted to kick, and that helped me get fifth, which was great for me at the time.
1: Well, here's the thing is that's how, that's why I think people pick like a good college runner and a pro runner for me. Mm-hmm. It's when your race doesn't technically matter, are you still going to fight to beat, to win the race that doesn't matter?
0: Yeah. And that's something that I always did in college. I was always trying to get, if, if I'm an eighth, I'm going to try as hard as I can just to get seventh because that can just be a little bit
1: better. You don't know. Yeah. It could make a big difference. But yeah, you always have that. Even if your race isn't going well, you still kick at the end. Oh man, I've had some bad ones. I know, I have some bad ones. <laughs> we'll get into where it. where I have fought as hard as I can. Yeah, when the cliff when the cliff came, yeah, yeah, there's some there's a couple moments in there you had to really fight. So we'll talk about that later. Uh, you said in one of your interviews that you were choosing between Jerry and Geiger. It came down to basically that you were going to stay with Geiger, go with Jerry. How does Jerry win you over, or do you go to Jerry?
0: I was always, me and Coach Geiger, it was never a battle. Like Me and Coach Geiger were a team in this process. It wasn't um, me choosing one or the other. It was really me trying to figure out what's the best situation with Coach Geiger. I I very uh, vividly remember somewhere in the middle of my college career talking to Coach Geiger about, um, because we were in Adidas school at the time. So I was like, yeah, maybe I can sign an Adidas contract one day. He's like, oh no, Ryan, you can sign a Nike contract one day. And he was referring to you know the big Nike groups, I, I believe, at the time, because uh, I did have a meeting with uh, uh, OTC as well. So, but that was one meeting. It really did come down, down to Jerry because of the guys he had coached. That was the five K group, and uh, Chris had just joined, and German, Elliot, the very young group. Evan, Evan was already in the group, so. Ultimately, what swayed me to Jerry was the group, more than Jerry. I think he called me one time. Me and Jerry barely knew each other. But he gave me the green light, you know, you can join if you want. And then ultimately, that's the decision that I, I went with. And, and Coach Geyer was just completely happy for me. And that was that's so huge to have, like, your mentor be okay with you moving on. That feels so good.
1: Yeah, uh, I had the same experience. Yeah. I had one conversation with Jerry and... I looked at lots of different places and I told RC, I'm thinking about going to, to BTC and he's like, that's great. Do that. That's a good idea. Please do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't ask me to stay or anything like that. He just wanted me to go to the best place. That's that's a good thing to have in a college coach. So that might be another part of, of our success. Yeah. 2013, your fifth year. You go in to... The biggest stage again and this time nobody sees it coming this kid in, in white and red he gets third he gets third in the race at uh, usa's in the 5000 and you make your first world team in college still i watched the race i watched like an interview after of you, and you're just completely stunned like you just couldn't even believe it yourself yeah. this is like the young 23 <laughs> year old just like you were just you were so elated Uh, Did you see that coming? Was that something that you, like, after your 2012, you're like, man, I'm going to make this team? Did the mindset change? At that point in time,
0: on the starting line, I had no thoughts of, uh, I got to make this team. It was just run the best race I can. And I was fifth at the Olympic trials last year. If I can be fifth or better, if I can just improve on that today, that'd be great. And it was a weird situation where through the rules of qualifying and scratching and who was there, only nine people started the race. It was really weird. And the first two miles I think was uh, over 10 minutes. We were like tempo running out there because it's super hot in Des Moines. So I'm in it, I'm in it. And then we're, I, I think it was maybe Ben True that takes off and runs the last, I think we were in the last 1200 and 250. And I just had enough wheels to stay on it, never get dropped. I was really fast at the time. Maybe not that strong, but really fast. And once again, I felt like it was a clear top two. Um, Legat and Rupp were the best, and then I won the race of everyone else, and that got me on the team. Yeah, totally stunned because you're, you're, it's sinking in. I've made a team. This was my career goal. My career goal was to make one team. Like that would justify me as a professional if I made one team. And bam, already here I am at 23. I'm on a team. Actually I wasn't on the team yet. I still had to go and run the qualifying time. So actually the pressure was on for about two weeks. Flew over to Houston. I think I had to run under thirteen twenty and ran thirteen fourteen at Houston. Got it done. Made the team. Wow. That was a big night. That was cool.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's that that's what I was gonna come at come at you with. Like most people just want to do this once. And you already do it when you're what, twenty three at the time? You're yeah. not even on your pro team yet. Mm-hmm.
0: And it was actually funny, that one phone call I had with Jerry, uh, we were just talking about, I don't know, we were just chit-chatting about track, basically, and for some reason I said to him, yeah, if I can just make one team, that would be amazing. And I don't know if he was just buttering me up, or if he actually felt this way, but he was like, oh, Ryan, you're, you're going to make teams. You're definitely going to make teams. I was like, ah, this guy's just, you know, being nice to me. But then literally two weeks later, I made a team.
1: I was like, yeah. damn, he's pretty smart. Well, he knows that you have the finish, and you've got the you you one. You've been in the sport forever, and you've just got the mind. You're calculated. You take care of yourself. Mm. All these things. He he believes in you. And when Jerry says that stuff, it really does feel good. Like I remember, I remember when I was hurt, and I'm like, Jerry, do you still think I can do this? He's like, Oh, you're you're gonna make teams. Don't worry. Mm. And it really does make you feel better. He said that to you too. He did. Nah,
0: (laughs) 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 that's his go-to. You're gonna make teams. And it helps. It does. Um, <laughs> uh,
1: but man, make, making the final was a big deal. We're talking about 2013, right? Yes. After you have this this final, you make a final. You have a great year. You come into Jerry's program, and and you are completely changed, man. You're like, I don't know what's happening. Like, I'm not feeling good. I don't know what's going wrong. You like can't even look the camera in the eye before you were just like this bright eyed little child. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're just confused. So I'm cu- I'm curious what happens after this uh, amazing year, and then uh, arguably not not as great, obviously. Well,
0: what was going on? It was... wasn't
1: first of all. It wasn't a championship year.
0: No, no. It was it wasn't off year. 2014, my first pro year with Jerry, wasn't off year. Uh, so we were doing some uh, some training that was almost experimental. It was so hard. It is something that no one had ever done before. I think it was Jerry's attempt to see what the boundaries were. And uh, we found them. We found my boundaries. Uh, We found what level it took for me to completely overtrain. So I, ever since then, as a pro, I've always tried to not go over that overtraining boundary because I know it doesn't work. I'm just tired, exhausted. I'm not going to have a good finish. Um, But yeah, that first year, because like I said, through high school and college, I, I actually did work really hard. I put in a ton of mileage. I pushed the workouts as hard as I could. So I did the same thing when I joined Jerry's group. I was running... 9,500 mile weeks, doing all the workouts. I mean, I was really impressing the guys with how I could not be dropped. I think it took me all the way until uh, late April to drop in my first workout. I mean, that's a long time. But what was happening was I was just digging my own grave. I was so tired.
1: But those are just the the lumps you have to take in your first year. I think so, too. Yeah. You got to take the shots. Yeah, uh, And Jerry will just throw you in and your body will adjust.
0: I mean, I was fortunate enough just to overtrain. That's fine. It's if you get like a massive injury where it's a big problem, and that's yeah. the risk we're we're always riding that line of overtraining, but not getting hurt. So at least I didn't get hurt. So <laughs> We've all the,
1: there's been a couple of guys since I joined the team who who fell uh, fell know. on the other side of that line. I so I mean, it, it's a good thing that that you adjust that quickly, but at the same time, it's it's like mentally taxing that you're going through. Uh, well. I was making teams when I was doing my training with Geiger, and now I'm, I believe, fourth at USA's. Yeah, I,
0: I placed one place worse at USA's yeah. and ran the same time for five k, and maybe was training three times as
1: hard. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, why? How is this happening? Yeah.
0: So I, but I, I, I like to take personal responsibility, and I try not to blame other people. So at that point, I just went back and was thinking, what am I doing wrong? What can I do better? and made a huge adjustment in 2015 and had a a fantastic year, probably my best year.
1: Boom. Yeah. Great transition. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, 2015, Ryan Hill, he like takes off. He starts, I don't know, this is definitely your best year. So what, what happens in 2015 where suddenly everything's clicking? I did not run a single
0: week over 90 miles. That 2015 season, because I felt that I was just doing way too many miles. I needed to let my body adjust to the workouts. So I crushed all the workouts. Did not, I completed every workout for an entire season. One U.S. indoors, one U.S. outdoors. Went to another world championship, finished seventh at Worlds. Yeah, things are just clicking really well. So we come into the 2016 Olympic year, and I'm just, I'm feeling completely comfortable in the Jerry Bowerman system.
1: I mean, you just won. US outdoors. Mm-hmm. And then you're feeling good coming into the Olympic year, and we come into indoors, which is actually a championship year, too. Mm-hmm. This is a pivotal moment for me in Ryan Hill's career because you've gone through the hard year of 2014. You've made the grade in 2015. You won USA's. Most people would be happy with doing that once, but obviously, a lot of people are looking at the Olympics. You, for some reason, because you're a good athlete and you're a professional, you're like, I'm going to still go all in on indoors. I'm still going to do everything I can to uh, do my best in, in this world indoor team. The USA 3K.
0: Andy, Bear, and Lopez were the first and second guys. Then, it was they were supposed to hang, hand it off to... Jaeger.
1: Jaeger. And then me. And then yes. So you guys planned this before and I've had to ask.
0: Yeah, yeah, the day before. Um it, it you know it's not a rabbit job because it's a US championship. It's a we have four guys in this. What can we do to get our, one of our guys to win or one of our guys on this team, maybe both. And Jerry, I mean he's con- he's not just going to throw us out there and, and let it happen. Sometimes he does, but for this situation he wanted to come in with a strategy. And so literally the day before the race, we're just doing pre-race I mean, for all I know, we're just going to trot around. It's going to be a sit and kick race. Best man wins. And Jerry's got, you know, his wheels are turning. He's thinking about it. Maybe even the week of, we had discussed like, oh, should we make it fast? And I was like, no, let's not mess around with it. But Jerry, he's like, I think we want this to be fast. Like, let's go wire to wire. And so he, he talks us through the plan of let's just go out the first 800 meters in two flat. See if we can break away from everyone. And Andy, keep it going. Lopez you, if Andy gets tired, you go Jager, you've got like the last 800, that's yours, like grind him down and you know we're all sitting there and like he hasn't given anything to me yet, and <laughs> so like the clear objective is like this is for Ryan to yeah, win, I've, so, I know so, how so that instantly goes. now there's more pressure because I feel bad I'm like oh no, all these guys are, are really not racing the best race for them to make this, this is all about me, I need to come through here, big time and so then, if you want to jump, do you want to
1: jump into discussing the race? There were some unknowns in this race. This is a, a pretty big moment. and We don't even know that Paul Shalim was on the scene yet no. until before this. Jaeger's out the back door. What do you think at night then? It's kind of a
0: blur. I, I just remember the first 800 was supposed to be too flat. So it's like, this is going to hurt, but just hang in there. And I remember it not feeling that bad. Yeah, I mean, this is I'm just so, I'm so fit right now. I'm feeling great. Um, I don't even think I, I... I'm not paying attention to where Evan is. I don't even know where Evan is. I think that we were so intent on getting out hard that we actually maybe false started. One of us false started. Yes. He had to call us back. Mm-hmm. And, That's true. and Garrett Heath, later we were talking with him, he's like, yeah, I knew you guys were up to something because how uh, how hard you all got off the line. So I knew something was going on. So we, we let it slip a little bit there, but I think Garrett was the only one to notice. And yeah, I think... Very early in the race, we had maybe broke the pack a little bit or made a clear separation, which I didn't even know at the time. I'm just solely focused on get to the last part where I know Evan is supposed to grind the last you know 800 meters and then we'll see how many people are there and I'm just gonna kick as hard as I can. You don't want this to be a fast race? Not necessarily. I don't, but I do think when it was when Evan took the lead, I kind of like sensed that, oh, no one's here. It might literally just be me and Evan, and maybe, I don't know who this is right behind me, but this one person's right behind me. So at 300 to go, maybe I would have normally sat, but I actually thought we broke everyone. So I take off around Evan, and I I actually lead the last 300 meters, and I'm just running as hard as I can. Who knows what I ran? I would love to hear a split, because I was running the last 300 as hard as I could. And it ends up that I hear the crowd kind of getting a little loud as I'm coming around the first the last turn I'm like oh god someone's there and I can I hold on to win and you know it's Paul Chalino that was in second the whole time and I didn't know that
1: well he wasn't in second the whole time he kind of did his thing where he starts in the back and moves up right like he
0: was the guy on my shoulder that I was holding off yeah I had no idea who it was but I could just feel someone there
1: he gives a salute. This is how far things have changed since then. Mm. This is when Paul was just happy to be there. That was his first team. Yeah, yeah. and he gives a salute because he's on. He runs for the U.S. Yeah, Army he's got at his the Army time. On, yeah, and the announcers think they're saluting you. That's what they think. <laughs> can I don't you imagine? Think so. <laughs> can you imagine Paul saluting you now? I don't think that's what was happening. Yeah, <laughs> no. no. but uh, yeah, that that was crazy, man. Uh, just seeing the, the transformation since then. Is uh, pretty nuts. So anyways, you make the team. You're the hero at this point. You're going to go to Worlds and it's going to be in Portland. And it's a week from... Well, the preliminaries are a week from Friday. You ran the race on Friday. It's a week from that Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you do in the week before knowing that, okay, now I have to carry the torch here in front of basically a home crowd?
0: Uh, I recall us having a very small celebration that night where everyone was happy. Which is t- such a good feeling, where you know, okay, all of my teammates and friends were happy, um, and it's it's basically because of me. I'm assuming because I made the team, like I'm going to Worlds. This is great. Um, so one night of celebration, and then me and me and Mo, you know, linked together because we're both going to Worlds and we both lived together at the time. So we basically me and Mo just got you know serious. Really, I think we took two days of, re- of recovery, did a little pre race. And then it was all about the race, driving back and forth. I don't know how many times I drove from my house to the convention center where the track was in that seven-day period for three races, two pre-races. Yeah, I mean we were driving to the convention center, me and me and Mo and and um, other people that were competing. Yeah, that whole time. And, oh man, it's it's such a fun
1: time. It really is so fun. You got me on top of the world. You know that you got the home crowd. You're living with the guy that's. You know, going to be in the race with you. No one else really gets that that often. No. Um, and then in the preliminary round, you feel good. It seems it seems like you finished the race and you felt strong and you're like, oh, I'm just going to have to do that again. Right? Yeah. In the, I mean, the, the post-race, you just said, I just got to do that again. Yeah. Get
0: through this prelim as easy as possible. And I got through it and it felt very easy. Not tired at all. Which is, you know, so I'm going into a final, not tired, which is
1: huge. Somehow, even though you just raced like a fast 3K a week before. Uh, But then we get to the world championship and it's just on Sunday, three days later. And uh, do you feel the tension in the room? Do you feel like, do you like, are people yelling at you like, go Ryan,
0: come
2: on Ryan.
1: That part, I don't remember at
0: all. I really don't remember. um, I just remember the stadium setup was really cool and it, it was full. Like that was just cool in itself. And it was very intimate, packed crowd. I thought, this is cool. But other than that, I'm just looking at the track. This track could be anywhere. I'm focused on the lanes and the other guys in the race. And also my mantra was... I'm going to the front, and I'm staying in the front as long as I possibly can.
1: And that was a good mantra. Let me let me take you from the beginning, and then you can take it to the end. In Portland,
3: it's the men's 3,000 meters, 12 starters, and what a race this promises to be. Lee Emanuel here has done well to make it through to this final 753 in his qualifying race. But he's got a mountain to climb if he's to been years old, Choge. Very, very consistent, too. He's a great miler. He's strong and... 3,000 and 5,002, and uh, he has the full armory, as do so many men in this race. It's very, very hard to pick out a favorite. I rather fancy Guida myself, marks. he's so sharp. He's always
1: comes ready to race, does the Moroccan. At the beginning, you guys go out and you're in second, and uh, it's a snail pace almost. You're running 70s, and it goes, continues like that for probably five minutes. 15 laps of the track
3: like Ahmed who I didn't mention there the Canadian he's a 740 performer this year this winter he's uh, happy to move to the front although he hasn't exactly accelerated I don't think this is going to be particularly quick through the early laps Lee Emanuel of Britain back in fifth place with the Australian there Brett Robinson he's a 744 performer and that easily spotable. yellow vest in third place nice and steady at the moment
4: yeah, not too uh, rushed is it the pace so far. Looking forward to the uh, internal battle between the, the Kenyans and the Ethiopians, who will be there or thereabouts. Choge has been blistering so far in the winter on the newly uh, created IAAF World Indoor Tour, in Karlsruhe particularly, and uh, left Koech and uh, and Diko left for dead. So keep an eye out for Choge in the, uh, the latter stages.
3: Alamiru fourth from the back there in that green vest, there he is, top left. Kajetra, I should say, just uh, loping along with that rolling, rocking stride of his. And Egida uh, almost having to chop his stride. He's almost jogging there towards
1: the back of the. And then I want to say, Kowich? sprint. Who is it that sprints to the front?
0: coach would be a guy. I think he is the guy who first got out there. I'm not sure who the first one to start making the crazy moves to the front maybe thinking
3: this is just a little too slow because it gets dangerous when it's very slow and it gets bunched there's a lot of barging and pushing and you get spiked and clipped and it's just dangerous and that's very strength sapping well Ko has introduced a little bit of respectability to this tempo thank goodness his full name Isaiah Langat Koich he's still only 22 years old very very consistent fifth in the london olympic games five thousand behind mo farah fourth in the year the year before that in 2011 when he was wait for it just 17 years old of course a third in moscow three years back second in glasgow at the commonwealth games behind his uh, compatriot indiku but while uh, he's hit the front it's still not quick and i don't think this is sapping for him at all he's probably thinking well i might as well be at the front able to react to any attack and controlling things as uh, back in the pack getting pushed and shoved and clipped and as I said getting my energy sapped through all that concentration that is required to stay on your feet when it's so uh, tightly bunched agonizingly slow 252 at 1,000 meters well that's outside 8:30 tempo 240 would be eight minute tempo and these men, many of them capable going around at 230 tempo much much quicker than this but he's Beginning to wind it up now in this middle kilometre, it's still not lightning fast, 1,200 metres and 325, still very slow for every single one of these men, they're all paying close attention to what's going on, you can see Ali Emmanuel Forth from the back, when the attack does come, and I'm just trying to identify who I think it will be the first to lose patience and go hard. When the attack does come, you don't want to be too far back. If people, somebody were to kick off the front now, for example, and you were in Lee Emanuel's position, you'd be in a desperately bad position to respond to it for a lap, lap and a half.
4: Well, he is boxed in, isn't he? And uh, quite vulnerable there for the reasons you give. And they're just starting to wind up a little bit now. Lee just needs to extricate himself from that position at the back maybe just move wide and get clear.
3: That said, Iguida, and then Deku right at the back as well, and Deku right at the very back of the field with Iguida. My favorite, the Moroccan
0: second from the rear, as coach continues to churn round at this slow tempo. It's just started becoming every 50 meters, every straight was like a suicidal move.
1: Yeah, that's it. When things go off at probably 5.30, it goes off, and it just turns, you can see from like a jog to sprint, and you're either on it or you're not, and Mo's not on it, he's gone. He, he was on it for maybe not, you're running 29s, and 129 somehow took the wheels out of mullet this time. He's a completely different runner these days.
3: dangerous.
4: It is indeed a bit of a bottleneck at the front there. Lee Emanuel now with a little bit more space, but again, I'd just like to see him moving through the field. He's opting for the inside track there. Just spotted a gap and
3: has taken it, and here we go. There's a decisive move there from... Uh, Indiku, I think it is. It is Indiku, yes. And now all of a sudden, it's like throwing the cat amongst the pigeons, isn't it? Kajelcha moves up onto his shoulder. Ryan Hill lengthens his stride, moving down the outside there. It's a of Djibouti. The Australian there caught napping a little bit, Robinson right at the back of the field at the moment and the chase is on in earnest, and this was a very quick, sudden attack
0: from the Djiboutian, Yusuf His Bachir, as they come now to 2 kilometers, 5.34. Two- <laughs> I mean, just switching gears like that and having the confidence, you know, because we're still decently far out to be sprinting all out. Not many people have the confidence to, okay, I'm going to sprint the last K of this and be fine i had that at the time where i'm like i'm just gonna get right in this guy's hip pocket and i somehow took all the punches of these sprints every 50 to still be in it with a lap to go yeah i think i was in fifth place with a lap to go
1: yeah i mean you're sprinting as a pack yeah there's a lot of and this is a small track by the way Mm -hmm. this is a 200 meter track there's going to be a little jostling and punching and and it a was, it was very physical, yeah. Yeah, and and you got uh, you got Kacjalter right next to you for a, you're sprinting next to him. Mm-hmm. That had to be just very chaotic and confusing when you're like, I have to sprint and still kind of figure out where I'm going.
0: Yeah, it's it's just bodies. I'm looking for every little gap to stay in lane one, not ever have to run wide or go go wide on a turn. Like that's just going to kill me. So I'm just trying to shoot every gap I can. That was a 29 second lap
3: down the back straight and certainly bachier has lost his lead in fact he's fading back in sixth place now as indiku uh, leads from kajelcha in control the kenyan ryan hill has got to work and stay with these four although that little gaps just appearing
0: and i think i only got muscled out of where i wanted to be one time in the whole race but that was critical it shuffled me back to like fifth instead of second. And so that's what I had to do a lot of work that last lap, because I just got one jostle. The, long,
3: of his, the 18-year-old Ethiopian <laughs> Choge moving down the outside into attacking position there. Ryan Hill still there in fifth place. The home crowd will be roaring on their champion. It's Kajelcha, Choge, and Diku Igida, the 1,500-meter specialist. Watch him. He's a real danger, is Igida, as he accelerates through to the bell
4: Kajelcha leading it through. What a trademark start he's got. And this is really... Terrific running, such a quality field. Five in contention for three medals.
3: Kajelcha kicks again into the back straight. Little look over his shoulder. Choge running the shortest line. Higuita running wide. Ryan Hill is right there. Indico's done back in fifth place. Kajelcha digs deep again. And Choge's got to find the meters. And so is Ryan Hill in that red US vest. Kajelcha's going to take it. Hill comes through to dick for the silver.
1: The lean was...
0: I know the but The lean was good. Always fighting. That was great. Always fighting. You'll have a lot of people. This is so weird, but you'll have a lot of people if they don't, if they can't win, they won't lean. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna lean. If I don't want to be third, I want to be second. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was just me fighting till the end. He is now a
3: gold medalist. Brilliant, brilliant determination from Ryan Hill. Maybe home advantage giving him that extra gear over those last fifteen or twenty meters to just out-dip the uh, bronze medalist there, uh, showgate but boy, it was uh, some last kilometer. What a finish from Ryan Hill. Look at this.
4: Back in fifth place here as they hit the bell. Kajelcha turning on the gas. And here he comes. Really digging deep. Look at the face. Ryan Hill grimacing. Still with work to do. Choge thinks he's got the silver. And they on the dip. Thrilling last couple of laps.
0: It was it was just madness. I, I, the, the pivotal point in the last 800 is when I get jostled by uh Choge. and after that I'm I'm basically I can't make any more moves I just have to hope that it's that I don't let any big gaps form really I actually don't remember anything until 200 to go because I'm in fifth place and it's single file it's very the picture is very clear with uh, with a lap to go I'm in fifth it's single file I've got to get myself to there's third place right there there's the metal So I think I make my first move on the back stretch. You know, now we're only at 250 to go. Um, I think it was like Indiku who was medaled at Worlds the year before. Uh, And now I'm in fourth with one turn, one straight to go. And people are starting to go wide now. And so now I have to go. This is the first time I've gone outside of lane one, maybe the whole race. Uh, And I go super wide. I'm not thinking about anything. Just let that momentum carry down the last 50. And somehow I get two people in the last 50. Didn't win, but... So close to Kajelcho.
1: But yeah, you got boxed in a little bit. I mean,
0: Kajelcho it. so good. He probably he had an extra burst in there. But, oh man, I mean, it would have been a great situation to, with a lap to go, have been somehow in second or third. And then the picture is much clearer. Like, oh, there's the win right there. And yeah. maybe I don't have to go super wide. But I'm feeling good. I'm rolling. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not out of energy. I'm rolling. So... <laughs> Who knows? But I mean, those are little things—you you, one wrong move will cost you—and and basically that's what happened with me, where I, I had to have a perfect race to win, and I didn't—I had a 98 percent, you know, perfect right, race. USA. That's
1: uh, that's definitely something that solidified you as as uh as one of America's best distance runners.
0: Well
3: that silver was one of the most exciting races I've seen so far, and the crowd really uh, willed you on.
0: It's funny about expectations. You know, Boris winning gold last night makes silver not seem so good, but I think had this race been before the 800, uh, silver would seem a lot more incredible just because it's so hard to get an indoor medal, especially at 3,000 meters. Um, But now it's just another medal in the list, and uh, that's fine with me. Well, you know, silver, talking about silver, but no one really expected you to do that. I mean, you weren't on that list of of possible podium types. Yeah, I think I was one of the top six, top five guys that that could potentially get a medal, but for it to actually happen, I think, is a, a pretty big deal for US distance running and definitely myself. So this track,
1: it's been good to you. US champ, now world indoor silver medal.
0: Yeah, it could be that it's two miles from my house. I didn't have to travel, I could just hang out at my house this whole week, eat and cook my own meals, or it could be that it's just that time of my career, and no matter where it was, I was going to get a medal. Uh, we'll never know.
1: Well, Ryan, that was a thrilling race. Congratulations. Thank
0: you. Yeah, I definitely feel like that set up some huge expectations for me that year.
1: Yeah, so this is 2016, and now going into the trials, I think everybody's like, Ryan Hill. He's a lock for the 5k. He just, he's just been on fire. He was gold last year. He just got a silver medal in worlds and you know, you get through the preliminary round pretty easily. It it looks like, um, take me through the, what happens between the world championship and the Olympic trials. So basically
0: we, we got like a week of rest after indoors and, um, i'm just doing some easy running and our very first workout back was like a strength workout i think it was eight times a mile on the grass very simple something we do all the time and for some reason coming off that workout my knee was just really bugging me and then you know but instead of just taking a day off maybe talking to jerry about hey my knee's bugging me maybe i should you know not do the next workout i I just want to keep pressing so then i do the next workout and i think i even did a long run and one more workout and my knee just totally blows up And I really only have to, I had to take like 10 days off, no running, which really, you know, doesn't sound that bad, but it was just that little bit to knock me off my game. And over the next, I mean, because World world Indoor was in mid-March, so now it was very quick that I only had two months before the Olympic trials, and I wasn't quite as good as I wanted to be. So those two months, I'm just fighting. I'm clawing just to get back to where I was. And I did actually get really fit, but probably the confidence that I had indoors wasn't quite there. Because I was actually still pretty fit at the trials. um, Because two weeks, a week later, I ran my PR for 1500. Two weeks later, I was fifth at the London Diamond League. But at the Olympic trials, I didn't quite have that same edge, sharpness, and confidence that I had indoors. Probably because of just that one little injury, and um, because of that, didn't crush the workouts and the training like I wanted. Um, I ran terrible at pre, like a, a week, uh, a month before the Olympic trials. So almost no confidence at the Olympic trials. And I tried to muster up, you know, f- some fake confidence a little bit. But it came down to the last lap that I just wasn't fit enough to get into the top three.
1: Through all this, like uh, people were worried about you, like your, your girlfriend, Emily, who, who you met when you were in college. You've been with her for 10 years now. Do you feel like other people were suspicious of your fitness and that's why the confidence wasn't there? Or or was this purely on yourself?
0: I think I, I'm the type of person that I like to see good workouts and good races to give me confidence. Like, here's the proof. You know, I can't just go into a situation and be like, oh, I'm because I'm, I'm Ryan Hill. I'm, I'm gonna win this thing. You know, it's like there uh, are people
1: that are like that. I
0: know, and I, I admire those people. That's incredible. I, I would wish see Matt's kind of like that. Matt central. With hey, I, yeah, yeah <laughs> he's proven it over and over, and he's like, I'm central, I'm gonna win this thing. You know, that's not me. That's like, I'm more of a. Here's what I got to work with, and I'm gonna try and do the very best with it. I this is it. I gotta step up. Uh, so I wouldn't really say it was like me or really anyone. It was just the fact of the matter is I missed some time and just wasn't quite, uh, didn't have quite the fitness and confidence going to the trials that I wanted. I wouldn't say anyone was worried about me though. I, I think Jerry didn't quite understand that I wasn't as fit as I was. I think he still had all the belief in the world in me because I remember having a couple of bad workouts at the last camp for trials and I was talking to him about it and he wasn't worried at all. I was like, do you think maybe I should you know, go back to Portland, get some sea level training under me, maybe, maybe do a 1500? He's like, no, you know, you're gonna be ready. That workout you just did, it's it's great. And talking about my girlfriend Emily, I think she might think I'm just invincible at this point because it, it, things have just kind of worked out for me, you know, in my athletic career. So she's probably thinking, oh, he, he's he's fine. You know, she didn't know the details of me maybe not being as fit as I wanted to be. And she's a runner. I mean, she's sharp. It's not like she didn't understand. I think she probably just was like, oh, he'll be fine. She was super nervous though at the trials. Hmm. I remember her calling me and like the day before because she wanted to give me some space and was just like what are the chances of you making this team I'm just like it's it's a 50-50 it always is every time even if I was 100% fit still a coin toss every time and it was that day I think in the last lap I had a chance to make it I was digging as hard as I could but I think you ended up having to run a 53 or 52 to make that team and I ran a 55 last lap so there was your gap right there
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and and the thing is about this is you were when the things are going well things are going great in this sport and then when shit hits the fan like the wheels fall off and shit really hits the fan oh yeah and after 2016 i feel like you just did everything right but you missed every single good break <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like I just, I it's true. Like you've done, you've been so calculated and careful, and it's not like you did anything wrong or lost all this confidence. Like you just caught a lot of bad breaks after 2016. Um, would you agree? Because hmm. let's look at this. I don't feel like a victim, or
0: but like I've caught in bad. I feel like I'm you, being pretty fortunate. I just feel like 2016 was a huge opportunity that missed, and no, no, you're no. constantly just from from my point of view you're constantly trying to chase that back you're like i can get back to that 2016 form
1: you would never call yourself a victim no let me make that no, clear no. i mean in 2017 mm. you make the team again and uh you make the final of the 5k and you're this is a sit and kick race this is set up for Ryan Hill he's going to be top 5 in this race in my opinion in my opinion. Could have been. Could, Could have been. been. I know you were reasonable. But I think you had the potential. You were super fit. I, I was there on the team at this point. You're in great shape. And you get through the preliminary round. You jump over someone. Yeah, that was cool. To get through, yeah, You jump over someone in the prelims yeah. to make it. And you look great. And you come down with the like a virus. Maybe the neurovirus. Something.
0: Most likely. I mean, yeah. it had to have been. It was like a five-day just absolute shit show.
1: Yeah. Yeah literally <laughs>
0: <laughs> like it's the norovirus man <laughs> you know it's not food poisoning yeah it was five days of awful yeah so i'm i'm watching the 5k final at home in my hotel room
1: laying down not feeling good and that you know that's for me a bad break i don't i don't fault anyone for that it's a bad yeah, break that,
0: that was probably the worst like you know we're, we're, this is all relative but that's probably like the worst thing that's happened to my career I made the freaking world final and got sick somehow. There's only two days in between the <laughs> prelim and the final, and still something bad happened. I know, you know. So that was a tough one. That was a really tough one to swallow. That yeah, that one hurt deep.
1: Yeah, that that's a bad break. Mm-hmm. And then 2018 comes around. It's an off year. You're in good shape again. Yeah. And uh, you know you do well, but it's an off year, and you don't really have a chance to sh- to show your flair. 2019. You're completely busted at this point. Blew the Achilles right out. <laughs> Blew it right out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: you've you've had all. You have such great fitness for the last from 2016 to 2019, and I feel like you didn't get to show uh, show how great it was. And this is just me talking, not you, obviously. But 2019, you're you're completely busted.
0: Well, so another big thing that happened. Uh, in 2017 was my body started, you know, I started developing these little injuries and nicks and niggles constantly. And normally, 2016 and before, when I'm younger, you know, I get something, I take some time off, I never feel it again. It seems like since 2017, every time something happens or hurts or crops up, it's there. This is this is going to be in my body for a while now. Mm. So, you know, I've been fighting that battle for a little bit as well. Um, so I wouldn't say I've been building up, like, all of this fitness, it's been more of like, I've just been battling, been battling every day to stay in training. Uh, Keep the extremely high level of training that we do in this group. It's not something you can coast through. Like you've got to bring your A game every day. And it's hard when, you know, okay, my toes hurt me today. My knees hurt me today. My back's hurting today. You know, you're constantly fighting off these injuries. So it, it was kind of three years of that until I developed just this really bad Achilles injury where I had to take time off last year.
1: To say you took time off is like, well, you didn't take six weeks. You were like off for like six months. I I had to take six weeks of no running. It was
0: just six weeks of no running for my Achilles not to hurt anymore. But but then that ended up healing my Achilles because I was able to come back. And it took another like 10 weeks of running for me not to feel like my Achilles was tight or weak. So it was a it was a total rebuild, and I also kind of went back to the drawing board of strength and how I wanted to approach training. Um, so it was a re- bit of a rebuild, and I, I've been working with that this this whole twenty
1: twenty season. And that's my point, man. Is like you started running in June again, and you had that six months of rebuilding, and you come back in this year in January twenty twenty. Yeah. Nobody's thinking about Ryan anymore because the sport only they're. they're, they're we have amnesia. We can't even remember two years ago. Oh, yeah. What have
0: you done for me lately? <laughs> Flavor of the month. Yeah, yeah. You exactly. Can, you're forgotten instantly. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so nobody realizes that you've got 730 in your back pocket. Ryan Hill, to me, yeah. I'm looking out for Ryan Hill for the Olympic team 2020. You're on 737 indoors with the rest of the guys on the team. And uh, you look back to your old form and workouts. You're killing these workouts again. Yeah and freaking olympics get canceled like it's like you're finally back you know and it's i don't know it it i just think it's frustrating from it's frustrating for me to watch that i can't even imagine so i'm sorry man
0: it's okay you're 30 now i'm not as torn up yeah turning 30 is a big one because you're like how many more of these years do i got in my body I actually wasn't that disappointed from an athletic standpoint about the Olympics, just because I I, was—I didn't compete at all last year, you know. And this is not something where you can turn it on six months or even a year later. You're going to be at top form. This has been years and years and years in building up. So I was fine athletically, getting another year of training under my belt. I can just—this is an off year. I just get to train this year to try and be better next year. I mean, the more of of the disappointing part is just this like global and nationwide shutdown. I mean, that's that's the disappointing part.
1: I mean, yes. Yeah. Obviously, I'm talking specifically about your career.
0: Exactly. So for my career, I'm not even that disappointed because it just gives me another year to try and regain that form in 2016. That's like the when I'm always chasing, which maybe is a little dangerous, but always looking for that, I used to be like this. I, I know I possess this. So let's keep working for that. But with this new body you're, kind of, a very new different body than my twenty six year old body.
1: I think you're too low key, man. I think you're too low key. I know.
0: I am low key. But that's you want just who people, I am.
1: That's this one. I that's, know.
0: I, I am at a low simmer. But it's it's like to fault. <laughs> I know. Hey, our greatest strengths are our weaknesses. I truly believe that. Because So in rough times I'm even keel, but maybe I need to get a little bit up, more excited about something. It's kinda hard for me to get super excited about things sometimes
1: maybe i don't know yeah but uh you know it's definitely good to have as a teammate because these workouts uh make me lose my mind and you're always so like we're just going to execute this properly relax one at a time (laughs) yeah Yeah. one at a time and it's nice to have like some reason on the team and someone with experience and uh just a sense that we're going to accomplish this the correct way rather than Every man for themselves. Yeah,
0: I mean, I do try to play that part on the team because if we were all just out to kill each other, we would all kill each other. You and know? it's very possible. There's got to be could. someone that's like, "Hey, let's keep it together here. Let's maybe think about you know the guy that's hurting, you know, hurting, falling off the pack today because it's a different person every day." I just feel like our strength is in our numbers, and so we've got to keep that that unit tight. And we are we are really at that point right now, though. We have a huge healthy group right now and it's so fun it's so fun to be a part of and um, you kind of see Lopez going through a resurgence in his career and I see exactly what he's going through where it's just fun at some point you realize just how fun this job is and you just only care about the process and you don't care about these like results that everyone else these expectations and result driven um, goals that everyone else is putting out there and you just want to train and be fit and go
1: race and that's just the most fun part I mean, you're kind of the, the web that holds everyone together on the team. God, I hope so. Like, I know you. when I got on the team, you are like, I feel like the new guy. You told me that once. I still feel like the new guy.
0: Oh, yeah. That was a while ago. That has
1: to be a while ago now. That because uh, now it feels like this is kind of Ryan's team. Uh, because when Ryan's not there, things just get out of hand. I, I'm not going to say. It's definitely not my team. It's Moe's team in some ways. It's Lopez's team, uh, way. yeah, Jager, team in some way. It's Jager's team yeah. in some way. But But... I think without you there, it's just like a different, I don't know, it's a different atmosphere, and, and it's it's not the same one that I grew up in, at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the, I mean,
0: the team is constantly evolving. The team that I joined is different than the team couple that Evan joined, different than the team you joined, and now Grant. It's a different team now. We're constantly evolving. I think mean, it's because Jerry is constantly bringing in new people, new talent. So it's always changing. And I definitely don't feel like it's... Uh, like my team or I'm heavily missed when I'm not there but when I come to practice I I'm really I'm just being myself I'm just I'm not trying to provide anything other than I'm just going to be Ryan get my job done but my job is ultimately for us all to get the job done so I mean that's just my personality so I probably do bring that element to practice yeah
1: <laughs> Too reasonable man <laughs> uh with this cancellation of the Olympics and you finally feeling like you're back, uh, you kind of touched on you just treating it as another year. Do you feel like you should train as hard as you can this year? Or how are you approaching training um, knowing that you have probably about another year before you really show you what you can do? I mean, I would like
0: to still train just as hard as if we had the Olympic trials and a full summer track season coming up because I missed all that last year. And I I just want my body to relearn that and remember that deep, deep track hurt. And maybe we can do some time trials or some races later in the summer, just so my body relearns that skill of really hurting. Hurting as hard as your body can possibly hurt, because I didn't get that. So I am training, yeah, just as hard as I normally would. And then we'll take a break, and then we'll be right back into another Olympic year. We have to go through a whole nother fall and winter, bringing that Olympic intensity again so we'll we'll see we'll see who will be able to handle that who maybe hasn't worked hard this year who's worked too hard this year I think we have a really good team and coach that's guiding us on the right path so I'm always confident with what our our move is and um I'm up for working as hard as as possible right now
1: blue collar man
0: yeah my dad's still working, by the way. <laughs> My dad's worked through this whole coronavirus, <laughs> very safely though. <laughs> they had to cut back his hours to 32, and he's like, "Yeah, I, he's working 32."
1: <laughs> when did you realize? I remember talking to you on the track, probably in February. When did you realize that they're that this is for real? Like we might actually not have the Olympics. Were you in denial like I was? Mm, I was never in denial.
0: I actually remember. Me possibly being the only one to show some concern back in January when they when they canceled World Indoors, I, I, I feel like I was one of the only people that I practiced was like, uh, is this thing going to cancel the Olympics? I mean, China, pretty close to Japan. This could be a problem. You know, and everyone's just like, nah. It'll, it'll be figured out by then. It'll be fine it'll be fine. I'm just like, all right. I mean, okay. I Trust you. Uh, it was not fine at all. Uh, and, and then it's funny. We, I feel like we started taking our cues from like sports, you know, the NBA canceled and everyone's like, Oh no, the NBA. And so, uh, yeah, I feel like dominoes just began to fall after the NBA canceled. And then, and then I, I kind of felt like there was a three week period there where it was kind of up in the air. Are we going to have the Olympics? Or are we not? And I was like, there's no way we can have this. There's no way we're going to have this competition.
1: Yeah, I, I remember you specifically at the track right before a workout saying, well, I just read that the head of the Olympic committee said he just prays that the, Olympic, the coronavirus goes away.
0: Yeah. Like no one asked him to bring it up. He just, <laughs> out of nowhere, he was like, uh, this uh, might not happen. <laughs> like, why is he saying this? He, it's a setup, you know? <laughs> just trying to bring down expectations.
1: Uh, yeah. But I, I definitely think it's fair that once the NBA was cancelled, everyone was kinda like, Well, maybe not.
0: Yeah, yeah. If this huge you know all this money wrapped up in the NBA, if 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 they'll take a back seat because of, you know, the health reasons, then the Olympics a bigger, more global stage, yeah, it was it was gonna be a hard thing to pull off for sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's still in jeopardy. Even now, next year's 2021 Olympics is in jeopardy. Like, I'm not even convinced right now it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I'm not either, yeah. to be but honest. But that,
0: that has really simplified everything for us where it's all about the process now. Like, we're literally just doing this for love of the game. We're just training and competing with each other because we enjoy it. I mean, how fun. Practice has been super fun the past, like, two months because we're just competing and training this is what we ultimately want to do yeah i miss racing though racing is the most fun
1: i like the uh the feel of racing i like i like the the cameras and the crowd i like that you know what i mean yeah it feels like there's chips in the pot traveling even just like traveling and going
0: to a new place it's it's exciting it's fun Mm -hmm. so that's killing me that we can't do that but the process we really like dug in and we're all about training right now
1: i'm impressed that you know nobody's really been like nah i'm not in Everyone's like, okay, yeah, you want to do these workouts? Blow them up.
0: Why not? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're still excited and treating all the workouts just as seriously. I think so. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, I remember (laughs) you're just taking it back to to January when uh, Worlds was canceled. You're like, dang, this really ruined foiled my plan of hoping no one would go and then then winning yeah
0: yeah because yeah before they canceled it there were uh there was definitely some people that were scared it was like yeah maybe i'll be the only one that shows up and i'll win (laughs) like that's what i i have to look for my way in i've learned
1: yeah well i don't know ryan i i just personally hope that you you get your chance to to show that seven thirty again next year at the Olympic trials.
0: Remember, Woody, it's a 50-50 every time.
1: Yeah. I know. That's what you said. In, you say that in every single interview. <laughs> it's, it's not, not true. though. Well, you,
0: yeah. Well, for some people, it's not.
1: For you, I, I would say it's better. With 2013, 2014, I guess you were outside, technically. 15, you're good. 16, no, Yeah, you're right, 50-50 about. But yeah. you still did 17 and 18, which would put you over 50-50.
0: I feel like the, the guys that make every team are the ones that are celebrated, but the vast majority of pros are just fighting for that 50-50 chance. If you can be on the line with a 50% chance, man, you've you've done some good training. You've worked hard to get to that point. So that's what, I mean, most of us are just fighting for that
1: 50-50. I want a chance to start. Exactly. Yeah. Some
0: people are, are on the line. They're like, I got no shot. I got no <laughs> shot at this. I'm working for that 50% shot.
1: Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck in one year from today. Maybe we'll do another post-Olympic podcast. See oh, what happens. So.
0: I hope I can earn my way back on Price of a Mile.
1: Anytime. Now, I've got some uh, questions for you to wrap it up.
0: Oh, a oh, uh, rapid fire?
1: Yeah. And there's Just, okay. two questions. Okay. What's your walk-up song?
0: You know, people always ask me this. I'm so this is. They ask you this? I, yeah, a lot of people have, are like, you know, what if you had a walk up song? What would it be? Yeah. And I just, it would probably be like the beginning of um, Tom Petty's uh, "Last Dance." With Mary Jane? Is that what it's
1: called. I don't know. Mary Jane, possibly. I'd have to hear Tom Petty song.
0: You're gonna have to play it. over. Okay? I will. Yeah.
1: That would be sweet walk up,
0: just to the beginning. Um, guitar of that
1: i thought you would be florida georgia line like
0: that's I mean, how
1: count- <laughs> we do it around here
0: country would be fun <laughs> country would be a really cool walk up um because i went to a ton of, of minor league baseball games growing up and it's always a country walk up and it's great
1: yeah that's that's what's the crazy part too is you, all of us played soccer you were a baseball player
0: yep a lot of baseball you stood up.
1: around Mm-hmm. yeah and that's was, what built the that's what built the cardio i was so fast on the
0: I know. Why didn't I play soccer? <laughs> if I played soccer, I'd be so much better now. Yeah, I'd play no. baseball. <laughs> <Yeah>. Standing around, <laughs> chewing gum.
1: That's you're too. You're just an all American. But blood yeah, man. give me
0: some Tom Petty to walk up to, and it'll be cool. Trust me.
1: Okay. I feel like you should do your own podcast, man. If I yeah. you listen to you listen to uh, the herd. Yeah. You listen to the herd probably. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if you listen to it three times a week, if not more.
0: Yeah, I try to like, yeah, I try to listen to, yeah, I guess I miss, I probably see his opening rant and a little bit of the show, Yeah, like three, three of his five days. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You're a sports guy. That's something to keep in mind. I do
0: think it'd be super fun just to talk about sports. That'd
1: be great. You can do that on this podcast. Hmm. You could do your own podcast, actually. I
0: know. It's kind of hard. Like you're actually, it's hard to do what you're doing where you are in the sport like you're an athlete or a coach, and have a podcast with them. That that seems it hard. Happens, to me. I don't like blurring the lines like that, you know. I, you I feel would too rather muted? like if I were like completely out, then I could do a podcast because I would have like this outside perspective looking in. It would it would be weird for me to blur the lines because I, I would be you know because there's like codes like oh don't you can't say that when you're an athlete or like don't tell that story. If you're an athlete, you know, I feel like I'd have to betray some confidences, you yeah. know? Yeah. That's I, the whole I'm not, point. I'm not ready to do you that. You have to
1: stab people in the back. Exactly. Yeah. I, you I, have to do it anyways. Get no. ready to stab me in the back no. next year in the Olympics. Oh, no, I'm I ready. Hey, we, if you beat me, I'll, hey, it's all fair. What we're all, we talking about. All fair. Love and warm. <laughs> we man. were
0: talking about like roasting, doing a Bowerman roast. I'm like, no, I, I'll make fun of people at practice, but I don't want to make fun of people in front of like everyone else.
1: People don't I'm know that you're actually that. the funniest guy in the scene. I'm not ready
0: for that. But that's the point. You gotta put yourself out there.
1: Ryan Walker Hill. He could have been Walker,
0: Walker. Walker Hill.
1: Can you name your child Walker?
0: Mm, that'd be kind of like a junior situation, you know, like naming your Walker Junior yeah. son after you. I'm not about that. They have to, they have to have their own identity, their own life.
1: All right. Well, thanks for having this discussion ryan i've just given you so many reasonable
0: answers yeah it's ridiculous this has been fire (laughs) from a reasonability
1: standpoint i just can't crack the i was trying to paint you as i don't know i can't crack
0: you man you're gonna get so many clicks (laughs) you're gonna you're gonna get so many clicks
1: i'll get four (laughs) at
0: least listen to this guy's reason (laughs) you've got to hear how reasonable
1: this guy is (laughs) so boring (laughs) just aimless
0: Alright, check down that one guy. Well, Shit, perfect. drifting. Probably. Goodbye, no, everyone. Like him. He was born on
2: a summer day some dark harbler Way back in the hills of Perry County But grew up poor and never saw a dollar But a dollar ain't no good and a cold camp anyway When it all comes down to zero nothing more that I could ever give And I know I'll never find another hero Not another one like him And if I'm half the man he was when I died, I don't know if I could ask too much more Told me you only need one hand. You can't be real friend in this life. If you find true love, you better take both on. Hold on to you so
1: that's it for this episode of The Price of a Mile. If you wanna follow Ryan, um, he's Ryan Hill, NC State on Instagram. The man would never promote himself, so you got to go find it yourself. Also, uh, Matt Sentowitz has just told me he's itching to get behind the mic. Uh, so if you want him to be on the Price of a Mile, you just got to nag him enough. If you made it this far, yeah, you should definitely go nag him to get him on this show. Um, thank you, Sidious, for putting on the podcast as usual for standing by me. I appreciate it. And next uh, episode, I'd like to have one of the Barman Women or Matt Sentowitz on the show.